0: Welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button, or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message.
1: Now week after week, we have people from all walks of life ask questions about our subject today. There are many passages throughout the New Testament that covers this subject very clearly. And so today we're just going to dive right in. Saul, this is uh, one one of our patriarchs of our faith, Saul before he started using his Latin name, Paul, after his conversion on the road to Damascus, was ordered by a man named Ananias in Acts chapter 22 to do something. Both he and uh, Ananias, uh, were, or Paul, were instructed by Jesus himself on this, uh, this particular encounter, and both of them followed through. And if you remember, Saul was the son of a Pharisee in Acts 23, and he called himself a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was very ambitious to make a name for himself uh, and, and as one of the great uh, students under Gamaliel in Acts chapter 22 in his ear, earlier years of life. He, he asked for approval from the chief uh, uh, priest, giving him the authority to go around uh, and arresting and, and even uh, putting them in places where they would be put to death, any who were part of this religious sect called the Way in Acts chapter 24, And Saul was on his way to Damascus, if you know the story, to arrest more of these so-called Christians or followers of Christ and have them uh, killed for seemingly opposing Yahweh, the God of Israel, that Paul was loyal to, found in Acts chapter 9. He He was confronted by Jesus on this road to Damascus and was blinded for a few days until he understood he was actually persecuting and killing God's people. Both, uh, Back in Acts chapter 22 uh, as Paul was sharing the day that he met Ananias and Ananias had healed him from his blindness, Ananias said to Paul or Saul at this time, and now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. And to put things into perspective, uh, here's Ananias didn't want anything to do with Saul because he understood who Saul was. He understood what Saul was all about. That all through his whole life, uh, his young adult life, under the, being a student of Gamaliel, he was out arresting Christians. He wanted them dead because they were, they were messing around with his God. And so today we're going to tackle the subject of why we do baptisms, why we baptize the way we do, who said that baptism uh, was necessary, and prayerfully those questions will be cleared up because there are a few different church traditions and teachings on this subject matter. Many of you have uh, different church backgrounds regarding the teaching of baptism. Many of you studied the Bible with a new understanding uh, and came to a place where you acted accordingly. Some of you are still learning uh, what the Bible teaches rather than uh, just simply holding on to the the traditions of a church that you may have grown up in. Uh, You are understanding that God's word is not to be usurped by the traditions of men or religious movement. Some of you were sprinkled as a baby. Some of you were sprinkled as Some of you were immersed as a young story even as an adult after being taught uh, and making the decision for yourself. Some of you have never been taught about immersion or baptism. Some of you have never even thought about this particular situation. And And I'm not here to disparage anybody's background. You are where you are at spiritually because of your upbringing. And I would never consider consider many of you to kind of be of the household of Cornelius found in Acts chapter 10 where he was a God-fearing man. He believed in Jesus. He was doing everything that Christians should be doing. And I would never take anything away from your relationship with Christ and say that you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or God. But the one thing that I am encouraging all of you to do uh, today is to simply listen to what God might be telling you uh, today, about the biblical act of baptism. And remember, you got to allow the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's word to be your conscience. Whatever God provides for you today, even if it's a small crumb, you need to make a feast out of it. That will be on you. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, What good is it, or will, what good will it be for someone if they gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or, or how, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You see any subject matter that relates to salvation is an extremely important subject to learn and to follow. And remember it was Jesus who said in Matthew or Mark chapter 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Those are from the mouth of our savior. And so baptism as a believing adult in water is a very important foundational belief that we teach here in this church. Even Jesus considered baptism important enough to walk 60 miles from Nazareth to to be baptized by John, the Baptist in the Jordan River to set an example. In the book of Acts, there are many examples of this, all of which were done by adults who made the decision. Jesus and the apostles believe this to be a vital part of our uh, obedience to God's word. This is the reason why we baptize the way we do, why we teach what we teach. And the reason we do this is because of the authority it came from. If you remember after Jesus' uh, resurrection, uh, he, he gave the apostles the great commission. He gave the church the great commission. Uh, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus told us to do it in the name of, meaning by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he meant it was God who commanded this of him. And for us, and when Peter said in Acts chapter two, verse 38, uh, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, he was not contradicting anything that Jesus said earlier in Matthew. God delegated all authority to Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, and when Peter said to be baptized in the name of Jesus, because of Jesus' authority, one is still baptizing by the authority of all three, and you can read that in John chapter one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the reason I bring that particular thing up is because there are churches out there that say if you were not baptized only in the name of Jesus, then your salvation, your baptism didn't take place because you did it in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I'm thinking to myself, really, if you had to choose between what Jesus said and what Peter said, who would you choose? Jesus. But Peter wasn't wrong either, and that's where they've got it wrong. You see, God God delegated to get all the authority to Jesus, and we've gotta follow what he says. You know, a, a lot of people have been taught different things about this subject, so. What does baptism mean from a biblical view? Okay, and as you well know, baptism is one of the most important decisions that you can make in your life outside of uh, you know uh, looking for a spouse. It's a personal and it's very public at the same time. It is a commitment we are making so that Jesus can take our past, our present, and our future, and giving Him permission to help us make a new start and to give us and to live a life worthy of the calling in Jesus Christ. In in other words, to clean the slate. That's what Jesus did for us, to give us a clear conscience as we move forward, forgetting what lies behind and looking forward to what lies ahead and also to make sure that we are focusing on the author and perfecter of our faith, which is Jesus. Peter writes in his letter, and this water symbolizes that now, what now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all it does, and to be clear, the water over here in this, this uh, hot tub, whatever you want to call it, it's just that. It's just water. There's nothing special or holy about that water over there. In fact, if you go over there right now, it kind of looks a little nasty. And you're like, eh, I don't want to get in there, but at least it's warm. I'm telling you, it's warm water. When we were in uh, Israel, me, Jody, and, and Matt, uh, uh, we, got, we were baptized in the, in the Jordan River. Uh, I don't know if you can pull that picture up. You can look at that. We had a great time. That didn't save us extra. We're not going to get there before you do, you know, things like that, unless we die before you. But, but we just did it because it was something to do. It was cool. Just uh, something nostalgic to do, okay? That didn't resave save us. And, and if you notice, the water's pretty dirty, it's pretty nasty. I got here, I bought this, I bought uh, three of these flasks. I only bought three because that's all I could afford. These things were a bunch of money. And if you look at it, there's no floaties in there. So if I were to dump that in that water, it's not gonna make it any holier, any more special than it may already be. Does nothing. This is not the same water. I don't believe this is Jordan River water, but I bought it anyway so I can have this illustration. Uh, <laughs> but it's just water. It's just water. Again, Paul says it's just a removal of dirt. It's not. It's just a removal of dirt from the skin, but a, a, a pledge to a clear conscience towards God, okay? Uh, um, Just as Ananias said to Saul after he was used as an instrument to destroy God's people, to having that sin washed away and becoming one of the greatest evangelists of all time. In fact, in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, again, it says, Now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of Christ. Our baptism or immersion is a symbol of greater things. What did God present to the world after he destroyed uh, the earth with a flood uh, because of man's constant evil intent? He gave us a rainbow communicating with his creation that he would never destroy the world again with a flood. He gave us communion as a constant reminder of his death, burial, and resurrection. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Baptism symbolizes the death and burial and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. It also symbolizes our death, burial, and resurrection as a new creation in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, Paul wrote this. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into a new, uh, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. In Galatians chapter three, you were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You see, Paul uh, is reminding us that we get to start over. We get to start a new life when we do this. This is why we immerse the way we do. Throughout the New Testament, whenever a person was baptized, it was because they were accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They wanted to start new without all the guilt and shame over something that they did or something that was done to them. Baptism is an expressive way to show your commitment to living for Jesus Christ. It communicates humility and obedience and will always be a reminder of one of the most important decisions that you made in your own life. See, baptism is not just a physical act. And, and it's, not a, a, it's, it's an act that is filled with spiritual meaning. It is a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of the world, for the sins of mankind. Romans chapter, five, or chapter six, the greatest event in all history. And, and God desired that man should never forget this. Just like our communion time, and he gave, he, so he gave us the act of baptism. And whenever you one sees a baptism taking place or hears of one, that is a reminder or a picture of Christ dying on the cross, being buried in a tomb, and being raised in the, on the third day. That, that, this reminds the Christians constantly that the, the love of Jesus that he had, that he was willing to give, give up his own life. It also demonstrates a person's making a spiritual decision to put to death the sin that so easily entangles all of us. Um, We die to sin through faith and repentance and then we're buried in that watery grave, that baptism. The person who was just moments before controlled by sin, having been crucified, is now buried and separated from that old life. Baptism is kind of like a funeral service from that life that was being lived without Jesus Christ. That's what it represents. Listen to what Jesus said, about, or said to Nicodemus in John chapter three. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. And then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, the old things are passed away, behold, they become new. And so the act of baptism communicates this meaning of a new birth. And Paul refers to the baptism as a washing of regeneration in Titus chapter 3, or this cleansing, this bathing of this new birth. And so now let me, let me briefly go over what the original Greek word for baptize meant to the first century teacher, student, and believer. Because the Greek uh, being the original uh, language of the New Testament was very precise and accurate. A single word was, wasn't very often used to communicate more than one meaning. Once in a while it happened, but this, this is true with baptism. And, and the Greek word is baptizo, meaning to, to dip, to immerse, to plunge beneath. And depending on what church background you may have been, uh, you would have seen bat, uh, baptism done, done in different ways, and many faith traditions sprinkled uh, while some used the method of pouring water over a person's head, but those forms weren't uh, used until a long time after the early church had already been established. Some of you uh, with different church backgrounds are scratching your heads by now. Whoa, 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 I am not understanding. Well, let me explain it this way. And you can look this stuff up for yourself, but around 300 A.D., some began sprinkling with, for baptism beyond deathbed experiences. And gradually, the Roman Catholic Church began sprinkling, and then centuries later, in 1311, a council met to discuss and debate spiritual and doctrinal issues over this matter. And Leslie uh, Thomas, who's a, a historian, said this, up to this time, the general rule of the church had been immersion, that included the Catholic church. Uh, the exceptions being, as a rule, clinic baptism, which sprinkling or pouring someone is a, is, who is physically unable to be immersed. And I've done that. And in 1311 A.D., by the authority of the Roman Catholic Council, which met in Ravenna, Italy, sprinkling and pouring became legal baptism within the eyes of the Catholic church. Now, many other denominational churches started to do the same in the, in the centuries to come, but most all, all Bible-believing and evangelical churches choose to immerse an individual when, when they baptize, immerse, to be put under. Why? Because whenever you read the command to be baptized from Jesus or any of the apostles anywhere in the Bible, it was always done the same way, by putting an adult person who has made the decision themselves underwater. Again, that's why we do it this way. Look, look, at, look at it through the lens of Jesus' own teaching, okay? If Jesus had wanted to say pour, uh, he would have used the word ekeo, which means to pour out. If Jesus meant to say sprinkle, he would have used the word rentizo, which means to sprinkle. It is, it is very clear when Jesus and or the New Testament commanded baptism, without exception, that he and the apostles used the word baptizo, which means again, to immerse, to put under. And, what, and that is why you hear us use both the terms baptism or immersion, because they mean the exact same thing, to put under, to plunge beneath. Um, That's why the apostle Paul explains the act of baptism the way he does in Romans chapter six, that we were buried with Christ in baptism. You have to look at it like this. You look at it from a funeral perspective. If you go to a funeral and somebody just throws a handful of dirt on the coffin that's below the ground, did they bury it? Not at all. If somebody puts a, a couple bucketfuls on there, did they bury it? No. You push all the dirt in there and you've buried the coffin. You've buried the body and that's a symbolism of what we do up here. It's the same thing. In Acts chapter eight where Luke is talking about the Ethiopian man that Philip baptized, he said he went down into the water and came up out of the water. In John chapter three, John the Baptist was baptizing because there was a lot of water and in Matthew chapter three when at Jesus' own baptism it says he came up out of the water. And this is why we baptize or immerse the way we do. We, we've, we've chosen to immerse people because that's what Jesus told us to do. That's how Jesus was immersed. This baptism or this immersion symbolizes, again, the death, burial, and resurrection. And we see that in every example of the Bible. Every example. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I've sprinkled an older man who had some serious health issues and wasn't allowed to be in or underwater. But he wanted to be obedient to the Bible and be immersed. And, and the only way that I was able to do that safely was, uh, uh, and, and to provide him with a clear conscience, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, was to rantizo him uh, a, as a form of baptism. And, and Mary Bunch set all that up years ago. Uh, I had another opportunity just this year to help uh, someone into a savoring relationship with Christ. He didn't know if he was even going to live that, that particular Friday night, the next morning, you know, he didn't know what was going on, and, and he had a bunch of needles and, and, and tubes going in and out of his body, he had an oxygen mask on, he was, at, he was in the ER, and the only thing that I could do in that moment, because of his conscience, was to take his confession of faith, and assure him that God's got him. God had him on this. God's grace is bigger than anything that we can ever understand in God's word here. And once he got healthy enough to be immersed, he did just that. And a few months ago, he was immersed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you were witnesses to to that. It was a decision that he made. Matt Deschambre, if you remember him. And continue praying for him because his cancer's back. The treatments aren't working. They're up at University of Michigan. They're trying something new. So be praying for Matt Deschambre. Back in 1979, my dad had the privilege of immersing an 80-year-old man, and and, and he did it in his own bathtub, and my dad, uh, when my dad had uh, brought him up out of the water, you know, buried and resurrected, Mr. Lynn was surprised that he wasn't dead. Think about that. He actually thought that my dad was going to hold him under the water until he actually died a physical death. You remember a few weeks ago, I talked about principles of interpretation, literal, if possible, figurative, if obvious? This guy didn't understand that. Paul says those of you who have been buried with him in baptism have died to your old self. And and this 80-year-old man had so much faith in Jesus Christ and what was about to happen to him that he was willing to die a literal, physical death. That's incredible faith. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it teach us infant baptism. The decision is up to a person of age who believes and who is making the decision for themselves. Every conversion in the Bible is that way. Every one of them. Jesus said in Mark 16, whoever believes and is baptized, will be saved. Acts chapter 18, Crispus, the synagogue ruler and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. The Bible teaches that those who want to be baptized must be teachable, and Jesus clearly states that in Matthew 28, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, teaching them to obey, if you don't understand if you're if you're an infant you don't you don't you're not making those decisions you're not understanding any of this but the new testament teaches that a person must hear and believe in Christ before they are immersed into Christ now, now the reason why some churches sprinkle babies is because of this idea of the original sin. You guys all know this, that, that an infant is born into this world covered with the sin of Adam and Eve, okay? And if a baby died or a toddler dies, they're not gonna go to heaven unless they have been baptized. Most of the teaching on infant baptism came from St. Augustine, Roman Catholicism, uh, who concluded that an unbib- unbaptized infant do not go to heaven because of original sin, Augustine strongly stressed that. Infant baptism is to cleanse them from, again, the original sin. And I know what the Bible says about Adam's sin. That because of his disobedience to God, sin entered into the world because of this one man, Adam. Romans chapter five. And the Bible teaches that we are born with a sinful nature. We we all understand that. But we are not responsible for what Adam and Eve did. We are not held accountable uh, for their sin. We are held accountable for our own sin, nobody else's. Nobody else's. It's a decision you have to make yourself here. And I believe that personally, and I know my elders and the rest of the staff, we believe that if a baby, an infant, a toddler, a child dies not knowing right from wrong, spiritually speaking, that child is going to be in the presence of God, without a doubt. I have no doubt about that. Remember, it was Jesus who said, unless we come to him like that of a little child in the innocence of a child, we will not enter the kingdom of God. So that makes sense to me. We come to Christ with the innocence of a child. When I hear of or am witness of parents dedicating their kids, or even, even hear of parents that are of denominational churches having their children baptized as in infants, I can still celebrate with that family, knowing that they're doing their best for their children and teaching them in the ways of the Lord. That's what we want, right? We want Christian families across the nation, across the world, to be teaching what's right. And, and, and for you or for them to be immersed later in life with a recalibrated information is not a slap in the face of your upbringing or your religious heritage. Be thankful that you had parents who were trying their best to communicate the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now the interesting thing about many of the older leaders, well even some of the younger ones these days, of denominational churches that that the practice of infant baptism, they have said that the origin of this did not come from any of the apostles or their teachings within the Bible. They agree to this. Fred Staten, some of you remember Fred over here at the Methodist Church. We were friends. He was there for 10 years. He immersed the same way we did. And I Fred, why do you do this? I don't understand. I thought Methodists did this. He goes, Tim, I don't care what the Methodist says. I care what Jesus said. He said that to me and it just blew my mind. And, and so he would take people, a group of people, to, I think, his father's uh, lake somewhere uh, south of here, and he would immerse a bunch of people at the same time, and I truly respected that because it was God's word above man's tradition. You know, the, there's a, a university called, uh, I hope I get uh, pronounced this right, it's, uh, it's a seminary, it's connected with a Lutheran church. They wrote an article about, in the support of infant baptism, and they said this in the article as well. A compelling, direct proof from Scripture for the possibility of infant baptism cannot be brought. The Methodist scholar, uh, uh, R.J. J.R. Nelson, said, the New Testament says nothing explicitly about the baptism of little children. Now, parents can dedicate their infants, their toddlers to the Lord. We see that a few times in the Bible. Manoah and his wife pledged Samson in Judges chapter 13. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah pledges her son Samuel to the Lord's work under the priest Eli. And Mary and Joseph pledged Jesus to the Lord's work with the blessing of the prophet Simeon in Luke chapter 2. That's why we provide a baby dedication here in this church. And if you are interested in that, you just talk with Jody, who's our children family minister. He he sets that up once a year. Now some of you might be thinking, well, my gosh, Tim, you know what about my God-fearing faith grandma and grandpa who've already passed on, you know, and they were sprinkled. I mean, what does that mean for them? Are they not saved? You know how that, how that argument goes. You know, that this information wasn't shared. I've heard that for 30-some years. But there, there, there's a pretty good example that has been shared over the years that makes sense. I, I've, I've never shared it before, but it's a really good one. I've heard it, like I said, many times. But I want you to understand that being obedient to new information and God's grace do work together quite well. All right, but here's the illustration. Say that your family owns a deli. Your grandpa started it, and uh, he had a great reputation for being honest, and he, uh, he passed it along to his son after he retired, and now after running the deli for 50 years, your dad is passing it on to you with the same reputation. And being 2022, uh, you decide that you want to remodel it with you know the PPP money, and so the scales you know that grandma or grandpa and dad use to weigh the meat and the cheese and whatever else uh, was a, is a pretty neat nostalgic thing. So you decide to keep that instead of the new digital ones. And and being uh, old, you decide to have uh, it calibrated to make sure that the weights are still correct. And then the repairman comes in and, and tells you that it's off an ounce. And so when your grandpa and your dad uh, thought they were selling someone a pound of meat, at 16 ounces, they were actually only giving them 15 ounces. And so the question then becomes this, was your grandpa or your dad trying to cheat or be dishonest? No, not at all. They, they didn't know, they never thought about having the scales recalibrated, it never entered their minds. But now that you know, if you don't make the necessary changes to the scales, Does that make you dishonest? Church, don't make this subject about your godly relatives who have passed away or the people that live in a world, uh, parts of the world that has never heard the gospel or an individual from other faith traditions that don't teach about baptism. Today, you have been given information, new information to recalibrate and the opportunity to make this personal decision and do Bible things Bible ways. God will take care of uh, any unintentional or any intentional misinformation. Remember, we are saved by the grace of God. No matter what we do in this world, God makes the ultimate call. But in regards to baptism, many people wonder, well, who's the one who's supposed to be baptizing? It used to only be done by the senior pastor. You guys remember those days? Only the senior guy could do it. But back in the '90s, we kind of changed that around here. Uh, ministers do it, elders do it. We encourage a person who has been uh, used, who's been teaching, the other person who wants to be baptized to be able to do it. That might even be a teenager, male or female. It doesn't matter. We encourage parents of, of their kids wanting to be baptized to do this, as long as they're Christians. Now, and not only is it a special decision for the one being baptized but it's an incredibly wonderful experience to be the one baptizing and we don't want to take that experience away from anyone this this practice also keeps someone from bragging or thinking they're special because they've been baptized by a certain minister or an elder and it spreads the wealth around if you will and paul addressed this issue back in first corinthians chapter one explaining that you can do not get hung up over who does the baptizing So he says this, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are arguments among you. What I mean is this one of you says, Why follow Paul? Another says, Why follow Apollos? Another says, Why follow Cephas? Another says, Why follow Christ? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, uh, so that no one could say that they were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is about the power of Christ and the cross. not the person doing the baptism or the one giving the message. You and I have been baptized, in a, we have not been baptized into the church, or we have not been baptized in the name of grandma and grandpa, mom or dad, a favorite preacher. You were baptized into Jesus Christ. It's a decision that you make, that scriptures are very clear on that. Colossians chapter three, Paul says, having been buried with him, Christ, uh, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We are baptized into Jesus Christ and nothing more. There's a lot of material that the Bible talks about when it comes to baptism. The Bible teaches that the act of baptism requires water. Pretty obvious, Peter says in Acts chapter 10, uh, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Scripture says much water, John 3. Now John was also baptized at Enon near Selim uh, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be immersed. It doesn't say that John uh, was preaching there because there was water, but rather he was baptizing there because there was plenty of water. Number three, going to the water. The person being baptized in the New Testament went to the water. It never mentions that the water was brought to them Matthew three, Acts chapter eight, it says the people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And then another area is going down into the water. Again, the Bible teaches that the people not only went to the water, but they went down into the water. Acts chapter eight. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. And then it also says, coming up out of the water, Mark chapter 1, that after Jesus was baptized, when he was coming up out of the water, you know, the heavens opened up, and God spoke, if you remember that particular scene. And in Luke, chapter, or Luke mentions in Acts chapter 39, when Philip and the eunuch came up out of the water. So there's plenty of indications of how this, how this happens. But now let me quickly tackle the purpose of our baptisms, our immersions. It all starts because of the one who commanded it. Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, therefore go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of. We do this because Jesus commanded it. Not because the Restoration Church in North Liberty, Indiana teaches it. God commanded it. It also shares uh, in, in every encounter dealing with those t- making, their, they were, they were making their own decision to be baptized here. It, th- that is what uh, was done immediately upon learning the truth about salvation through Jesus. As they say, uh, a river is purest at its source. And so what do you do when it comes to this? You go back to the word of God. You look at what Jesus said about the whole matter here. He's the one that instituted it here. We do it because he said so. He's the one that wrote about it. In Matthew chapter three, after Jesus's cousin John the Baptist gave that famous speech uh, after he was baptizing a bunch of new converts, he says, there is coming one more powerful than I, 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 uh, whose sandals I am not fit or unworthy uh, to carry or to untie. Jesus travels at 60 miles from from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And John tries to talk him out of this. He says, I I need to be baptized by you, and, and you come to me? And Jesus said this, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented and Jesus was immersed and then heavens opened up and God said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Why is, Jesus, or why is God pleased with Jesus here? Because Jesus understood the role that he played in setting an example to the rest of mankind when it comes to the redemptive work of God. He is, he is being submissive to God's saving grace and God's plan, not his own. If you notice here, the third person, God uses a third person here in the phrase, this is. It's not a direct uh, message for Jesus, or God would have said, "You, you are. He said, this is, talking about his son. This message was for all believers, witnesses in every generation, us, including Satan himself, that Jesus, the son of God, has fulfilled all of righteousness through his obedience to God, and being an example through his own personal baptism. And think about this, why did Jesus, a sinless man, need to be immersed? Was it for his own salvation? Not at all. It it was meant to set an example for all of mankind. That's why he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He's not going to ask us to do something that he was unwilling to do himself. That's why we teach and baptize those who choose to do so. But listen to what the Bible says about being baptized. Acts chapter two, Peter's preaching the first gospel message to the same group of people who seven weeks earlier were saying, crucify him, crucify him. The same group of people. Acts two, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It's the same question that the jailer asked of Paul and Silas when they were in prison together. What shall we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, listen for this, to this, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why we do this. Did you notice that Peter, Saul, and Paul, or Silas and Paul did not respond ever to their question? Well, there's nothing that you can really do about it. You know, salvation is up to God. You have no role to play in this whole process. Just be a good person. Pray this prayer of faith, admitting that you're a sinner. With with the leading of the Holy Spirit, every one of them say, repent and be baptized. And just in case there was any doubt in anybody's mind, he adds this phrase, every one of you, every one of you. Baptism is part of God's plan of salvation for us. It's part of the narrative. Unless you put all the pieces together, you have an incomplete story. And so the most obvious question is not, do I have to be baptized? It is, what has God asked me to do? What has God asked me to do? And so Jesus and the apostles commanded baptism for these reasons, in order to be saved. Mark 16, 1 Peter chapter 3. Number two, for the forgiveness and the washing away of sins. Acts chapter 2, Acts 22. Uh, Baptism is is into Jesus Christ. Romans 3, Romans 6, uh, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 3, Philippians 2. And number four, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. A lot of important things there. As we see, baptism is a very important part of the plan of salvation that God has set up. In Acts chapter 35, it says that Philip preached Christ to the eunuch, that they shared with him the good news about Jesus, and it says there again in verse 36, as they traveled, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, hey, look, there's some water. What should, why shouldn't I be baptized? And listen to this, Philip said, uh, uh, if, if you, Philip said to the eunuch, if you believe with all your heart, you can. And the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why we have our little confession of faith, your statement of faith, prior to your baptism. So when Philip shared the good news about Jesus' baptism, it naturally popped up. This, this, this wasn't about, Phil, or baptism naturally popped up there, but this wasn't about Philip teaching what his church tradition was or, or some improper calibration. He only knew what Jesus taught, what Jesus did, what Jesus commanded. And Satan would love for the churches across the world to, to try and turn this into a debate rather than a decision. This is about the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. The, the Christian life is not an, an, an attempt to do as little as possible so that you just get by, you just kinda slide into heaven. Being part of the family of God is not about checking you know, or cherry picking what you like and dislike about what church, or, or, what church traditions that you've come from. This is about choosing to do things that, that God has commanded us to do. And this is why we teach this. And when it comes to baptism, we don't want to overemphasize this uh, subject. We don't want to minimize it either. We simply want to teach what the word of God teaches and give its proper place as God commands. This is why, again, we baptize any person who has, who has, who, who has taught and decides for themselves to fulfill all of righteousness as Jesus did. Church, when you when you understand and decide to be obedient to the New Testament teaching on baptism, but you're wondering... When should I do this? A simple thing that Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter eight or 6, today, today is a day of salvation. When the Holy Spirit's working on you, don't quench the Holy Spirit. You move. You start asking questions. You start digging into the word of God, just like the eunuch, and see where it takes you. Because I'm gonna tell you something if you're like Mr. Lynn, if you're like so many other people in the, in the New Testament, you're, it's going to take you to a place that you've never, ever dreamed of, into an unbelievable, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship is between you and he. Not you and me, or this church, or any other minister, or any other elder, but you and Christ.
0: If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.